Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over there and start using it now. What's going on, earners? Welcome to EYL University, the number one place for business education. Charlie, tell them what we're bringing. Yes, EYL University already has over 100 past webinars from all areas of business. It includes weekly webinars from industry leaders. It includes access to our investment Facebook group, movie club, our book club. It also includes access to monthly financial planning calls with yours truly. But what has been added has access to MG the Mortgage Guys Home Buyers Blueprint over 14 hours was everything you need to know as far as the home buying process is concerned and also what has been added is access to our monthly group chat call right. so once a month me troy and the whole team is going to let you in on our personal plays our portfolio what we're doing and more so all of that we are running for a special promo code of 70 percent off for a limited time only so head to eyluniversity.com right now and take advantage you know this works don't wait don't hesitate we'll see you on the other side my graduates from my school being Forbes. Backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs> a mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop. All right, so now we're going to talk about VCs. So we talked about VCs before. Previously, we had an ex-NFL player. Shout out to Mike Brown. And yeah. he's doing um, equity crowdfunding. And he, he went to Duke. He used to work in Silicon Valley. So he, he's Silicon. Like, Silicon Valley. Yeah. And uh, we know. So, yeah, he told us about the whole VC process and all that. But, like I said, one of the good things about Earn Your Leisure is that it's kind of turned into like a college course in sorts, mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, a lot of these things you hear about, but nobody really knows the inner right. workings of it. And right, right. From his perspective, he told us on the outside mm-hmm. in, but you actually have a VC firm. Yes. So, this is, we're just getting the apple sauce from the apple orchard. Yeah. Yes, sir. So, this is dope. So, all right. How did, all right, so we got to tell a story on this. How did you, how did you come into the venture capital world? Okay, um, so after I sold my business, um, I, at that time, was very passionate about building some kind of startup community in Harlem. Uh, 
So I did that. Um, and it initially started as like a little meetup that we call Co-Found Harlem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just kind of turned into, you know, at that point, because I sold the business, I had a lot more bandwidth and creativity and runway and I wanted to make some shit happen. So we added a little business model behind it. It was not a great one, but it turned into an incubator of sorts. I convinced a developer to give me space for free. By the way, this is a thing. You can, I learned, I learned a lot through Co-Found Harlem because it was a non-for-profit that focused on economic development, so improving the area. And so that that got me to interface with politics. So Co-Found yeah. Co- people might not be familiar. Co-Found yep. Harlem was an initiative that you started to help small businesses in Harlem get capital, right? Yes, it was the first incubator in Harlem. And so that kind of project, I stepped up a little bit in my thinking. I got a little bit more macro because I, I was going from just operating a, a business. Now I'm helping other people operate. So I'm interfacing with politics because I discovered, oh shit, politicians care about the area getting better. Mm-hmm. But more important than politicians, politicians have power, but real estate developers have a very long-term interest in the area, I discovered. Mm-hmm. Longer term than politicians because politics are just like looking for the quick election. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These motherfuckers are here 40, 50 years. And so I pitched a developer to give me free space. And, you know, it was a very bold thing. And he was like, <laughs> why would I do that? And I was like, well, because I'm going to incubate businesses. And the only thing I'm going to ask for them is that they stay in Harlem. Yeah, I think that's one of the things you said, right? They, the businesses had to put their headquarters in Harlem yes, for, for four years. For, and- it, ended up, it started as four, ended up being two. Okay. And so anyway, so yeah, so we were able to get free space because they were like, all right, bet. Like we want the, the value of our prop, our main business res- residences to go up. So they had some retail that was open. So all right, bet, cool, take that. So yeah, so we got the space, we got mentors, we made a little bit of buzz, we got companies applying. All of a sudden, I'm running an incubator. It's a non-for-profit incubator. I'm raising money through grants and fun, you know, and sponsors and shit like that. And I inadvertently got into running kind of an events business. We had a little bit of an event. That's when I really started dipping my toe into content and building a community type business. And then eventually, one of my biggest donors um who i didn't know his name is david rose he's a uh, he's a very prolific angel investor he's one of the most active in new york city he pretty much was like yo i come from a big real estate family you might not know that but i want you to do what you did for Kofan harlem for us and learn the investment side can you describe what an angel funder is? yes angel investor, so so an angel investor invests in startups with their own money mm. a vc a venture capitalist invest in startups with other people's money mm-hmm. and that's really the key distinction and so david rose is a prolific angel and he wanted me to he wanted to recruit me and help him run a fund as a real estate technology fund so we invested in real estate technology not physical stuff property management software and i told dave i was like yo i don't really know any of this he's like john we know real estate you bring your energy so anyway fast forward a year we learned, you know, we made some good investments. Um, and like I sourced the deals on my own, like I did everything on my own because they were too busy to really give me guidance. But the most important thing I learned had nothing to do with the job itself, it had to do with like the family had generational wealth, mm-hmm. like they controlled thou- dozens of thousands of units in New York City. I mean, truly a legacy family, man. I mean, when you go to you know, Dizzy's Club, that's, that's the Rose, you know, the Rose Hall. If you go to the American Museum of Natural History, that's the Rose Planetarium. Like, they're embedded in what it means to be New York. Mr. Rose, as David's father, 
large in part funded Martin Luther King Jr.'s original Millionaire March in 1963. Mm. I mean, we're talking about a legacy family. And so at that point, man, I really caught the bug. I was like, yo, I got to go do this for us. So I went back uptown. I met, I met the fellas whom, whom are now my partners at HCP. They had their own background. They come from a more academic background and they were fortunate to be exposed to finance early. You know, I learned this shit through being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. They learned this through like, there are pathways and programs in place. There's one called SEO and there's one called MLT. These are placement programs specifically for people of color to break into investment banking. That's only in New York or? This is nationwide, I want to say. Okay. Um, and, and yeah, these brothers actually all, you know, they, the group was bigger back then. They all met in these placement programs, mm-hmm. all working for banks, Goldman, Bank of America, shit like that. And they decided like, yo, let's put our bread to work. So that, you know, they started doing that and they kept hearing about me. Because that's one thing. If you are top of mind at whatever you do, you're going to get more opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, eventually they came on my radar. We met and we started investing together. And one thing to clarify, and this is really important because, you know, people who want to get into VC, like they think if you don't have a million dollars, you can't do it. But in reality, our first few checks were like 10 or 15K, by the way, split between like five guys. Mm. So it was like it was like literally two or three k each. So that's what you you all came to the table with like three thousand a piece. Yes. Okay. That's enough, right now. Now look, if you can't make slash save enough to make two or three k, you're not ready. But <laughs> yeah. if you're not bullshitting and you're serious about your shit, you can stack two k, two or three k. So five of you come up with. With three thousand, you got fifteen. We we put together fifteen, and then right? what's what's the vision now? Like, and then and then it's like, all right, bet. Now, where do we put it? Right, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so the quality of your deal flow increases over time, but at first, you know, we caught word of a local cafe that was looking for money. Cool, we put a little bit of bread into that. Got to experience what it was like to be invested in small business. We caught word of a dental practice. A guy that was buying a dental practice, looking for money, boom, you know, because you start communicating, yo, I'm looking for businesses to invest in. You do get deal flow back. Yeah. You put it out and you start getting deal flow back. We caught word of a venture company. And so we invested in a couple of different, a few different asset classes. All with the, fifth, the initial 15? No. Nope. we're grossing as we go? Nope. So it was like, we did capital calls, okay. which is like, hey, <clears throat> we found a deal. It's time to put bread up. So that's a capital call, and you hit the whole group. Between all the five of you? There was like six. Six of you? Okay. So there like, was like six. All right. So now it's like, okay, we put the first 15, but and we, you, we, yeah. we need to put five more in each. Yeah. I mean, five was a lot for me at the time, but like, you know, it was like, hey, we found a deal. Who can put what okay. was okay. really the question. Okay. And like, if I was more liquid at that time and really liked the deal, I might have put four. And then we might have had a partner who was like, oh, I can only put one right now. And so it would vary. And so, yeah, over time, you know, the interesting thing, and this is credit to my partners at Harlem Capital, is like we always treated 25K like it was 25 million. And now we've closed on 25 million. So, you know, so, so it's just crazy because you got to treat the baby step with as much respect as the angle. So how did you, all right, how did that work out as far as the first, the early, like, look, look at even the first deal that you had, the dentist office or the bakery. You gave him like what, like five thousand dollars, something like that, or yeah. So, so the way the actual mechanics, because I know EYL, 
likes to get into that <laughs> is uh, we, so the way you do it is you form an LLC. Okay. Okay. And e- so each of the partners become members in that LLC. You name that shit, whatever you want. And um, yeah, so it ends up being what we call an SPV, which is a special purpose vehicle, which is pretty much fancy talk for saying like, hey, anytime we invest in said company, it's going to come through this entity, mm-hmm. right? And the LLC is a fascinating legal entity because it's a flow through entity. So it's like you become members in that and like you on the company, let's say we invest in, you know, the cafe on that company's docs, on the formation documents for that company, they're going to see Harlem Capital Partners LLC on there. But then, you know, if we make a profit or a loss, the profits and or losses from that entity flows through to each of the individual partners. So it's really just like a like a shield. Mm-hmm. It's like a step step away. It's removed. So anyway, you make an LLC. You invite whomever, for anyone listening who wants to create a little syndicate, that's what you call it, an angel syndicate. You invite homies that you think are serious. You join the LLC. You brand it. Come up with a cool name. And then you start communicating it to the world at large that you're looking to invest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then you look for deal flow. And that's, you know, that's how it works. And so we would put 10K and then I think we ended up doing like six deals as angels. Hmm. 10, 15, 20 if it was a hot deal. Mm -hmm. 10 if I was low on cash. And like, man, it's not really about, we haven't seen a dollar, by the way, from any of the angel investments we've made. Mm -hmm. In fact, we've lost money. Okay. Yeah. The cafe closed down. You know, we've seen some distributions from the dental practice, but not really. A lot of stuff doesn't work out according to plan. But the most important thing is being on the ride. Yeah. Like, I don't listen to anyone in business who hasn't lost more money than me. Like, you got to get skin in the game. I can't take you seriously if you don't have skin in the game. Yeah. Like, you, you, gotta, like, you guys got cameras. You got yeah. mics. We lost a lot of money. If, yeah, <laughs> if this lot, shit wouldn't have worked out. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you know, money. you got the focus right. You got the MacBook. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you guys are putting bread in. You put bread up to buy the shirts. Yeah, You're putting fine. bread in. That's right. That's, that's, fine. Fine. that's and, fine. And so anyway, with the angel investing thing, it's a lot more important to get in the game. And you will not know. This is why at the beginning you asked me like, yo, have I got any book tips? And I said, I don't really fuck with books because you will not know what asset class you like until you invest in it. I thought I loved investing in small business. And then I discovered I really don't like this shit. Because when I was meeting with the business owners, we were talking about napkins and forks. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, I, you know, I want to talk about scale and, you know, like... This just wasn't wasn't for me. I discovered that I like real estate a lot. I love real estate. I wouldn't have known that unless I jumped in. So I'm a really big fan of jumping in. And if you can't jump in at a big scale, you jump in at a small scale, just jump in. So how how does that work when it's six of you, right, as far as decisions? Uh, Is it like majority or if it's like, you know what, you don't like it, you're just not part of this deal? Yeah, so it has changed over time. So when, when we were in Angel Syndicate, it was like, hey, are you interested? Some folks might have said no. Um, but also, you know, going back to this business is really a people first thing, you know, is also respect for your partners because your partner might find a good deal and, you know, might have gotten in a good rapport with that founder. And then two months in, it's time to invest. And like, you know, I want to support the fact that my partner is excited about this deal and I'm going to put up, I'm not going to step up big. I might put up a thousand Mm -hmm. and be like, yo, all right, cool. You know, put that in the deal. Conversely, when it's a hot deal, when it's by the way, hot deals, you're not they're not pitching you, you're pitching them mm. to get in. Mm-hmm. 
Hot deals are oversubscribed, meaning a, a company typically will raise a finite amount of capital. It's what we call a round at a fixed valuation. Okay. So they'll say, Hey, I'm raising $1.5 million at an $8 million valuation, i.e. they're giving away 20% of the company. And then if it's a hot deal, you get good funds in investing. And so like a fund, uh, you know, is like, uh, for anyone maybe doesn't know, is like, you know, entrepreneurs who go out there and raise money from the market, you know, in institutions, endowments, shit like that. And, you know, they have a great brand name. And over time, especially from Silicon Valley, you've had prestige funds emerge. These are funds that have proven track record that they know how to spot winners. Sequoia, Benchmark, Kleiner Perkins. Whenever you see them on the cap table, the cap table is short for capitalization table, which is the page on your company's documents that shows who owns what. Mm -hmm. And so the cap table, you'll see a list and it'll say Nas invested 50K, owns 2%. That's um, Queensbridge Ventures, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so he also invests as an angel. You know, such and such invested this. So the cap table. So we have this thing in VC, you want to be on cap tables, you know? Like a lot of motherfuckers talking shit, but I never see you on the cap table. You know, <laughs> you might be at the club table, but I don't see you at the cap table. Yeah, the crap table. Yeah, right, right, right. right. So, so uh, that's good. That is you good. on the crap table? You ain't on the cap table. All right. So, so, um, so anyway, um, yeah. When you see a marquee fund, meaning a top fund on the cap table, it's a competitive deal. That founder has options. And we were fortunate a couple of times to squeeze into a very competitive deal. And in those deals, when a deal is hot, you want to make sure you, as much as it costs you, I don't care if you got to pawn your fucking watch, get in the deal in as big of a way as you can. You might lose that money, I'm not going to lie. But when you can get a good amount of exposure into that deal, you know, those deals that end up doing 10, 20x. I'm, I'm gonna ask you a question, but some good before, deals, I just had, before I forget this, the, the reason the reason why I like this podcast is that we get to interview people, and no matter like the last guest that we had was talking about stocks, shout out to Wall Street Trapper, and he was saying how he, it excites him, and like you, I could see like it's like you seen paid in full before, yeah, okay, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I seen so, that, one. come on, now. <laughs> so when Mitch he was like, I love the game, yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. he was talking about illegal game, but right. business is like a it's like a competitive sport, yep, so it's like I, that's what I really. Loved like even with Steve Jobs when he said that it's the process that really excites him. Not even actually sure. yeah. getting there. It's just it's not the, the journey. journey. And it's like for people, I really want everybody to understand. Because even like with the podcast, it's like it's ups and downs, but it's an exciting ride. Sure. And for I could sure, tell, the, I could see the excitement when you're telling a story. And it's like for people that have never been entrepreneurs, I just encourage just to have that feeling. Yeah, it's, man. It's, it's it's like a natural high. Yeah. The feeling is everything, bro. But I wanted to ask you, so how do you... All right, so you started as angel investors, and you said that didn't really work out for you guys for the most part. It wasn't profitable. Yeah, right? I mean, so so one thing to know is like when you make an angel investment, the yield curve on it, is, meaning the amount of time with which you're expected to make anything back, if at all, is typically seven to nine years because that's the average life cycle of a business. And so when I say we haven't made any money, it's, it's like- still a chance. Just, uh, for sure. Yeah. And then we're in some companies that we're expecting to make some money back. Um, but like, you, qu- I quickly found out, like, it's funny because, you know, uh, I'm making, you know, we're making deals and every time we make a deal, we in, we announce that deal. And so my social was blowing up. Yo, you're an angel <laughs> investor. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> and then I'm like, fuck, 
I'm not seeing any money. <laughs> like it, it just literally feels like you're just like your money's just disappearing because it goes to work. And then what happens for anyone who doesn't know how you make money in venture, you only make money in venture on a liquidation event, which is the company is sold. You do not, contrary to small business investing, if you invest in an ice cream shop, barber shop, restaurant, whatever, you're yielding profits. So you have a profit split. So because the, the example would be like when uh, Nas or in his, his firm invests in Ring and then Ring gets bought by Amazon. Or PillPack. Correct. Right. Yeah. PillPack. Um, so, so if you invest in a restaurant, you're making quarterly dividends. Yeah. You get cash flows. In venture, because you're typically reinvesting profits in the business, because growth and profits are inversely correlated. If you want to grow, you got to sacrifice profits. And so it's a very different kind of investing game. So you don't invest in a startup with the pretense that you're going to get uh, uh, profits. You're, you would be hurting that business. Mm -hmm. So the trick is jumping in and getting in early at a nice valuation. On average, we invest in businesses. Um, along, the businesses that are coming from the Midwest are on average valued between four to six million in venture. And businesses along the coast are valued between eight to 10 million. Mm -hmm. So now 80% of M&A, which is mergers and acquisitions, are happening right now between the 150 to 200 million dollar price point. Mm -hmm. Like Gimlet Media got acquired for by for 200 million by Spotify or whatever. If I would have gotten into Gimlet Media when they were worth 10 million, you do the math on that. You get in at 10, they get sold at 200. Whoop, you know, you got a 20x. So what money did you put into that deal? You know, if you put in 100, that'll tell you what you net at the, at the yeah. back end. So anyway, I'm just clarifying how you actually make money in venture. Mm -hmm. You get in at the sweet spot and then that business grows, and if you're fortunate, it gets acquired, and then you net. What's, what, what, what's the difference between the valuation of, of cities that are inland and the ones against the coast? That's a great question. Um, and the real, the real reason that businesses are priced differently based on geographies yeah. is due to cost of living. Okay. So like businesses make, you might make more as an individual in New York, um, and so as a result, employees are more expensive, offices are worth more, and so, and there's also more capital in that market. And right. so you can usually justify a higher price point. Whereas I love investing in businesses from the Midwest because they're reasonably priced. In fact, they say this is a nugget. VCs say that the actual valuation, the true valuation of a business is the Midwest valuation. And then when you go out to the coast, you get inflated. Because mm. when you're in Silicon Valley, those motherfuckers will pay any price for any business. And so we actually rarely invest in, we haven't invested in a single business from the Valley because by the time they come to us, they're like, oh yeah, we're worth $20 million. I'm like, show me your revenue. They got 100K revenue. I ain't paying 20 million <laughs> for 100K in revenue. So like there's one thing to know as well is like there's actual different investment climates among the coasts. The West Coast is very like, yo, we're looking to scale by any means. And the East Coast is a little bit more like conservative. We're looking for revenue and a little bit more modest growth. Um, but revenue. So how did you guys go? You, you have $25 million war chest right now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a little bit beyond that. Um, and we get this a lot because people will say, yo, I want to break into VC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a number of ways. You either um, work at a venture firm. Good luck breaking into one. They're very exclusive. Or like the path that we took, we started as angels. And eventually, once you have enough of a track record, you can you can go out to the market as a whole and say, hey, here's my thesis. Like, here's my idea. 
And it could be like our shit is around investing in diver, you know diverse founders. Like we invest in women and minorities, but that doesn't have to be your thesis. Your thesis could be around sports. Your mm-hmm. thesis could be around music. Yo, I want to create a fund that invests in you know music companies, sports companies, uh, sewage, you name it. And the the true test of whether you can raise a fund or not is if you can convince enough people to believe in your shit. And what I found out raising money is. There's a lot of motherfuckers with money out there. For real. You said that, you said that uh, the founding, the goal is to, to invest in a thousand companies over the next 20 years, right? Yes, sir. So that would mean like 50 companies. Is that the goal? Like you're doing 50 companies? We're, a doing, year, a, just... we're doing a thousand founders over 20 years. Okay. So like if we invest in one company that's four founders, we're counting that as four. Okay. Um, but yeah, the way our fund model is structured right now, we're looking at doing... Uh, you know, 30 deals out of this first fund. Um, and then, you know, it'll accelerate. So it's not very linear. It's like our first fund might be 25 to 40 million. Our second fund is going to be a hundred million, then quarter, you know, then quarter billion and then a billion, you know, we're, you know, we're thinking pretty big. So, so it's all relationships. People, yeah. you build relationships with people and they invest in your fund. Yep. That's right. The same way that entrepreneurs are asking for money, we're doing the same shit. Okay. And so the biggest misconception, like when we close our fund and we make the announcement, it, I think it's going to make a very big splash because we're going to be like, you know, young of color. And we, I think we, we're going to raise a considerable amount. Um, people are going to look at the headline and automatically think that we're, it's you. It's, you're, it's, you're, not, it's not our bread. Okay. That's, so that's, full disclosure, that's, not our bread. Well, that's yeah. important to know. It's that's very important, important to know. Because a lot of times people, the angel and the VC, they kind of get that mix. And they think if you have a VC firm, all of that money is your money that you're yeah. putting up. Yeah, and if you want, so I'll just break this down quickly. The the fund model, all right? This is how you make money. When you cross over from angel to VC, you get paid on what's called the two and 20. That's the fee structure. So the two refers to your management fee. So whatever the total size of your fund is, this is why you're incentivized to go for a big fund. Whatever the total size of that fund is, 2% of that annually is what you make as your fee. So on a $25 million fund, 2% of that is 500 grand. So you get 500 grand every year to pay for salary, office, travel, everything. Now, if you know with a team of four and office and stuff like that, like, you know, you might make 100 Gs on salary. Like, that's nice, but you're not going to get rich off of that. Yeah. You're not meant to get rich off of that. Mm-hmm. The LP, there's two kinds of partners in a fund. There's the GP, the general partner, which is the partner that's putting in the work. And then there's the LP, he's a limited partner, it's the person who's investing. So your LPs do not want you to get rich off the fees because then you would never work. You get rich on the other side. I remember I said it's two and 20. Two is the management fee. The 20 is what we call the carry. And the carry is your share of the profits. So... Now, because we can because we can get in a little detail, I'll just explain this. Typically, you as the GP, if you set out to go raise a fund, your commitment to the fund, you you put up one percent of the total fund. Okay, so if if my partners and I are set out to raise, as an example, twenty million, one percent of that is two hundred thousand. So we have to come up with two hundred G's across you know the four of us. Okay, bet. Now. But here's a mind blowing shit. Remember, I said the 20 is that refers to your share of the profits, which is 20%. So we're making 20% of the profits on 20 million. So it's just like 
you know, I guess it might be complicated. It's like ingrained in me now, so it's not that complicated to me now. But like in a nutshell, you're, if you can put together 200 Gs, it's buying you a ticket to get the profits on 20 million. Like, so that's 2 million. Right? Well, it depends on how much money you make with the 20 okay, million. Yeah, yeah. And that's the incentive. Okay. So it's like, can you make this 20 million and turn it into 100 million? Mm. If you do, you get 20% of that. Okay. You get 20 million. 20 million. Yeah. You know, so it's like, it gets complicated, but like. How can people, if they want to, um, we're going to move on to the next segment, but I want to. So if people are interested in like pitching their business, it's like Shark Tank. How realistic is Shark Tank? Shark Tank is to angel investing. Um, what Indiana Jones is to archaeology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, so they're not coming in front of you and you're not. Nah. So how do they, how do no they fix? No disrespect to Indiana Jones. Shout out to Indiana Jones. Man. I was a Harrison Ford. <laughs> Nothing like that shit. Harrison Ford. Yeah. So yeah, how uh, do the, they pitch The that? real way is like people send in a pitch deck. And we, you know, and then, you know, if the pitch deck looks good, then we'll, we'll sign a part. There's different levels of a deal screen. So, you know, pitch deck looks good. If not, then we'll, we'll we pass pretty quick. And we, we see a thousand deals a year. We invest in 10 deals a year. So we're talking about a 1% investment rate. So if we see a hot deal, one partner's jumping on the phone with that founder. Then that partner reports back with about a page of notes to the rest of the team. Yo, Cool. And then if there's interest, then another partner will jump in. As many partners as are interested, then we jump in with the full with the full team. We try and get a fuller team situation and we learn more. We have interns. So then our interns might go and do market research and okay. analyze what we can expect to make. And then interest grows. And usually you have every partner leads their own deal at the fund. So it's all about like, yo, all right, what deals, what deals am I getting? Mm-hmm. versus Brandon versus Jerry versus Henri. We're all looking for our own deals. And to your question about voting, we have a we have a conviction over consensus philosophy. Like it's not like all of us have to agree. It's like, is someone really worked up about this deal? And can you get people excited? Yeah. You're judging off the passion of, of one of your partners? For or sure. Okay. And their ability to defend the deal. And we'll, we'll test it. We'll heat check each other yeah. and grill each other. Like, yo, I don't know if this deal is going to make it. Like, like I tried to get a media deal through and I couldn't get it through. It got shut down because my partners were like, yo, you know, the media climate is really hairy right now. You know, Vice and BuzzFeed and, and Refinery29, you know, they're not doing too well and they're the big dogs. So how the small dogs and, and you just, it's a mental game. Mm. And if you can get people excited, then we close the deal and we say, all right, bet we're going to invest X amount. And then we just wire them the money. And then we put prayers up. You know? <laughs> yeah. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. 101, 103, 104, and 105. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> Adventure, was it right there. Adventure Capital and Angel Investment. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Bag drop. Bag drop. <laughs> a mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.